make it, and I don't, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to allow somebody else to do something that, um, if they're good at it, I, you're going to encourage them. So I would ask Brother Russell to come up, please, and do the confession for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thanks, brother. Absolutely. Love doing this. Y'all ready? Let's say this life with me. Yes. Father, I thank you in advance. Father, I thank you in advance. That I will be changed by my time spent in worship. That I will be changed by my time spent in worship. And in the word this morning. And in the word this morning. I am a believer and not a doubter. I am a believer and not a doubter. Therefore, all things are possible for me. Therefore, all things are possible for me. I recognize that it's not by my mind or by my power. I recognize that it's not by my mind or by my power. But by your spirit working mightily in me. But by your spirit working mightily in me. Which I overcome any adversity I may face in our journey. Which I overcome any adversity I may face in our journey. I am not afraid of what sickness can do to me. I am not afraid of what sickness can do to me. Because by your stripes I'm healed. Love this next one. I am not afraid of financial lack. I am not afraid of financial lack. Because all my needs are met according to your riches and glory. Because all my needs are met according to your riches and glory. Therefore I live out of your pockets and not mine. And I cannot be overcome by depression. Because you have given me, me with your peace, with your peace, peace that passes all understanding. And you won't take it back. And you won't take it back. I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. Because you overcame. And I cannot be stopped. And I won't be stopped. I love you, Lord, because you are a good, 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 good Father. Amen. That was awesome. Thank you. All right, you may be seated. Speaking of uh, Brother Russell, this morning, my boys, they found out that I was preaching today, and they said, uh, Braden says, um, are, do they call you brother? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, they call brother, or they call Russell, brother Russell. So they must call the important people brother. And, I was like, and he's like, have you gotten there yet? Uh, not yet. So, sorry. So, awesome. So it's been a while since I've been up here. Uh, so we'll recap a little bit. Last time I was up here, um, made some parallels of the importance of training and um, development or what Pastor was hitting on real hard during that time. Um, so I'm gonna give, we'll talk a few stories and stuff today, and uh, I've got a few videos for you. But uh, just kind of recap a little bit. Yeah, it was about a week ago. Um, Braden came to me and he was talking to me a little bit about uh, something that was going on at school. And since he's been at school, um, he's kind of got that personality to where a lot of people will find him odd a little bit, I guess, and people will pick on him a little bit. And so he told me he's got a bully at school. And the way that I handle that is I. My philosophy with that is I want to do everything possible to stay out of the situation to try to let him learn from this. 
um, as far as, and I'm still supporting him, don't get me wrong, and I give him advice and everything, but from my experience when I was a kid, my parents stepped in, and I think that that didn't allow me to grow, because the struggles that we go through is what creates the character, and the struggle is the fire that forges the character, is what I believe. So, with that said, him and I are going through, and with my boys, my wife um, thinks that I fight with them a little too hard, but I play with them all the time, and we fight and everything. And so I tell him, I said, okay, well, what's going on? And he says this kid is just calling him names and kind of pushing him and stuff and everything. And I was like, well, okay. Um, well, first off, I'll tell you, it's I don't think that he's going to be any harder. I was like, does he hit harder than I do? And he's like, well, no. And he's, I was like, well, what's the difference? He's like, well, he's, he's mean. All right, fair enough. So I was like, well, tell me about this kid. Because what I'm trying to relay to him is that when we have fights and we come into a fight, the fights, and what I told him is our fights are won before we get to the battlefield. We, we have to take time to analyze our enemy. So, and you know, talking to a 10-year-old, he doesn't understand that. Um, so I, I said, all right, well, let's, let's look at the situation a little bit. And tell me about him. So he says he's really big. Um, so Braden's kind of skinny. Uh, well, he's very skinny. And... Uh, so everybody's big then, but he tells me he's really big, he's very loud, he calls a lot of people names, and he says, um, I was like, okay, well, when he fights, what does he do? What does he, you know, tell me about that. And he says, well, he just, he just pushes everybody. All right, so he gets angry really easy, and he says, yeah, and I was like, all right, perfect. So 10-year-old, he's like, what do you mean perfect? So I, I was like, well, that's exactly what I needed to know. We analyzed the situation, so now I got a better understanding on how I can help you. So I said, well, you know how we fight? Well, what am I doing? Um, when we when we play around and stuff, you know, when you sit there and, and he's, when I go with him and play around with him and uh, Jacks, if I'm playing with him and I go to any other kid and I do the same thing with them, it's not gonna ha- it's not gonna happen because they've been um, sparring with me for years and these other kids they just go wild in and, and they're gonna break something if they you know if I if I play with them the way that I play with my boys something's gonna get hurt so. I, I tried to explain to him, I was like, you already know how to fight. It's kind of like uh, Mr. Miyagi in The Karate Kid, you know, he's wax on, wax off, and he doesn't know what he's doing. And I didn't realize that this whole time that I've been playing with him, I thought that he would know how to fight, but you have to actually take the time to sit there, okay, and slow it down. And I know Pastor was telling us this last time I came up, well, you can't expect people to know what to do. Um, and so, even though that I was sparring with him certain ways, I still had to break it down and be like, okay... This is what we're doing. So with with um, that, we slowed it down a little bit. And I said, okay, what do I do with you? I want you to actually get um, out. So what I do with the kids and certain different fighting techniques that I've learned, um, but a keto is really what I, um, I like to do with the boys. All that is is just you're moving the movement of your opponent. And you're moving it away from yourself. And and, and another thing that I use, um, I guess law enforcement or whatever, this is uh, joint manipulation. And so with the kids, we were sitting there, no, no, it's something wrong. I heard oh, it. <laughs> so like I told him, I was like, well, if you were to grab me like this, you know, just. All right. So roll out. Give it a. Okay. So like I like I told him, I was like, if he comes at you. Well, you told me he's a lot bigger than you, right? But you can beat him before you get to the fight. And he's like, well, what does that mean? I, get into his head. I was like, even if you, if you before you get to the fight, um, never show weakness during the fight. 
And he's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, if he probably is going to hit you and it's going to hurt, but don't show him that. Don't, just laugh at him. And he's like, and, and the other thing, I was like, and if he's a big kid like you're telling me he is, and, and he's a bully, and he's, he's focused off of just using muscle on his way through everything, he's probably moved, fighting off of rage. And if you can use that against him, because rage and, and anger is something that, it's a, it's a very strong force, but it is uncontrollable. And if you can use that against him, and I told him, I was like, look, next time you go up to him, and he's mad at you, and whatever, and you go to him, blow him a kiss. <laughs> and, and he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, I promise, I won't get mad at you. Just blow him a kiss, and you see what happens. He's going to start running at you in a blind rage. And all you have to do is just keep your cool. And so, like, and I'm just showing him stuff like this. And it's stuff that I do all the time, just risk manipulation. And you can sit there, and you move out of the way, and he's still going that way. And you use that against him. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, you're, you're much bigger than me, but that was pretty easy, right? Yeah, it's not like you that. So, with that, that's, I, I was talking to him about that, and what I realized is that even though that I sparred with him, and like Pastor said before, you can't expect people to know things, and that's why you have to actually physically grab and small, spar with them because I had to work with them with the movement of getting out of the way, um, different techniques and stuff like that. But then I also realized, and what's funny is I have it circle here in my notes and it's come up a lot already this morning, is fear. Fear it has no place in our walk with God. Amen. And fear, it, what that does, the whole importance of, of self-development and training and everything that we do and everything that the pastor's pushing us through is muscle memory and all this training and everything that we know to be true, that is what we'll go to and we have no room for fear at that point. But if we don't have the training to get to wherever, whatever enemy we're facing and we don't have that tra- training, that leaves all the room for fear to take place and what do I do now? Yeah. Right? So that's one thing that I realized with my son is that he knew, I mean, even though he's half the size of these kids, he knows the techniques and how to deal with them, but he just didn't know how to apply it. And that's the importance of what I saw a pastor been doing the last few weeks and stuff. That we're And one thing that I'm going to get to later on is um, what, the importance of this church. I don't care about the size, but the people in it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I, I feel that this church has, is filled with people that knows how to fight. You just don't know how to apply it. So, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, okay, so pastor asked me to speak over, um, we're going to talk over the, the armor of God today. Um, before I get there, though, I want, I, pastor, one thing I like about pastor is that he always he gets off on his little rants and stuff about um, user imagination. So, if you know me, I'm a big kid and I love that. So, what I want every single one of y'all to do is use your imagination right now. Um, I want you to think... Um, and, and you're going to elaborate in your mind, in your mental space as I talk, and then we'll come back to it at the end. I want you to think about a warrior in front of you, in, in your mind's eye, and just and as I go and as we talk about different pieces of armor, you add on to the armor and however you want this person to look, female, male, whatever it looks to you, I, I don't, Batman, you want to, I don't care. So, you're, you're going to be piecing together this warrior in front of your mind's eye as I talk. Um, and like I said, it, apply to it however you want it to look. Like, it, I, I love to draw. And one thing that I've always been inspired to drawing and stuff is like the old school, like Viking warriors. This just 
bulking, you know, this hulking mass of a warrior that just doesn't know fear. They didn't have a place for it. Um, add some, add some stuff, however you want to, and we'll come back to that at the end. Okay, so we're going to go to Ephesians six ten through seventeen. All right. Oh, actually, real quick, Alex, one more time. Sorry. I got to read in my notes. One thing that I was talking to Braden about, um, so I kind of backtracked a little bit. One thing I was talking to Braden about, and I've told Pastor Ben this before. For whatever reason, we have these problems when we're fighting an enemy. An enemy? Fighting an enemy? All right. So when we're fighting an enemy, we, if we fail, we go back and we keep fighting the exact same way. And then we keep losing, we don't know why. So, Sarah, so just stand there and just kind of, kind of get ready to kind of stop here. Alright, good. Good, perfect. So, brace yourself for the end, let's go back. Alright, so I keep going against the enemy, he's not moving. And every time I go, I fail. For whatever reason, we sit there and we go into this wall, we're just head first. What is it? Insanity. The same thing over and over, the same results. But we yeah, that's what we do. Is we go across these enemies, these obstacles, and we headbutt our face against a wall with the same results, but then without any kind of counsel or anything. And again, this is where fear comes in. Is I, well, I don't want pastor to look at me like this. I don't want people to see me this way as vulnerable or you know in any certain way. So I'm, I'm going to do this myself. When in reality, if you would come to somebody that's been against this enemy before, been in this situation before, all you have to do is like, hey, well, wait a minute, just. And you say that all you have to do is they'll pull you to the side, and now all of a sudden, where the enemy had the stronghold, because I can't push back, such a feeling. I can't push back against them, right? Well, your counsel that's been in this fight against before, they say, hey, take it in my name. Yeah. Now it goes and falls over, right? Yeah. All right, thank you. Good, good, good job. Good. All right. I didn't want to miss that, sorry. Okay, Ephesians. So I got. Um, I'm reading from NIV, but then um, there's one scripture I want to go back and um, in a different version. Anyways, here we go. So finally, be strong in the Lord and his and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel and peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, one thing, I went through a bunch of different versions of this uh, scripture. And I went to the Amplified. Ephesians 6, um, 11 is what I like from the Amplified version. Where it says, put on the, garment, the God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy armed soldier with which God supplies. So that tells us that the armor that we're given comes from God. Amen. Okay? All right. 
It's not, it's not an armor that I created, that I handcrafted and all this. It's, it's, it comes directly from God. That you may be successful, able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the, of the devil. So what I love in that is the strategies, the deceit. It, it, the NIV worded it a little different. Um, I told you before, last time I was up here, I, don't, I think everybody was here, but because of the fewer numbers that the enemy has, that the devil has, he has to be very specific on how he attacks you. So God gave you defenses against that. And that's what that's, what, uh, that's talking about. So I broke it down a little bit. And the first piece of the armor that it um, references is the belt of truth. So um, I was given a different scripture, John 14, 6. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Only through him do we get to God. The truth, the belt of truth. So in military stuff uh, and in the armor and stuff that I had and everything, the belt, there was more when I was in the law enforcement. You, you use these belts that have Velcro, and that's how your, um, your pistol belt will Velcro to that. So it was a little bit more helpful. But I was looking back in the old school armor of what they were referencing back then um, was a lot more important because what it did, it, it binded and held all the rest of the armor together. So the, the breastplate, everything else, the, the weapon and would all be attached to the belt. So the, the truth is what combined and held everything together. Okay? Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so next uh, that is referenced is the breastplate of righteousness. So, acting in accord with divine moral law. So, I, I looked that up, what righteousness means. And in theology uh, definition, the spiritual definition is what I just read. Acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. That, righteousness. So, in the medical field, because I'm fairly certain everybody knows what I do now. I'm a firefighter. But in the military, I was a medic. Um, I, I enjoy that. And the two biggest uh, vital organs. What do you, Alex, what do you think? Uh, heart and your brain. Very good. So your brain is like the computer system, right, of your body. So it, it's, it's what controls everything. But without your heart pumping oxygenated blood to it, it need, they, both of them work together. So you have to, that's what you need. Those are your two vital uh, organs. So, I don't think it's a mistake that they put the breastplate of righteousness, because the breastplate is your armor right here. This, it's protecting all this vital organs right here, right? The other part is the helmet protecting the brain. The helmet of salvation. Again, I looked up salvation. The theology definition is saving, saving of the soul from sin and its consequences. So those two right there are huge because we have to protect our brain, we have to protect protect our soul, our heart, and our vital organs here with those two things, our righteousness and our salvation, right? Very good. So next, shield of faith uh, protects um, protects uh, us from lies, defense, and so I wrote down here, and I can come back to this in a minute, but I wrote down defense and offense. And what I mean by that is once I go through this, as I'm going to talk about what these, how these were used before. But back in the days, nowadays we don't really have, um, I, I wasn't given a shield, you know, like a Captain America shield, which would have been awesome, by the way. <laughs> but but I, I wasn't given one, sadly. Um, but if you look at Captain America, that weapon, or he uses that as a weapon. 
but it's also used as a shield. It, that is a multi-tool. So the, the shield of faith, our faith, can be used as offense and just as it can be used as a defense. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, amen. All right. Shoes of readiness of the gospel. So in the military, we have this term uh, called combat ready. Combat ready means that we're always training. We're all because we cannot. The number one killer on over there is complacency, and that right there is with the shoes of readiness of the gospel is combat ready. Is that we it, we cannot be complacent in our faith and what we do in the church. Just meaning we show up on Sundays. What I said last time, as far as where we just use Sunday school knowledge, we have to keep digging in into it because that. That's what kills church. And like uh, Pastor was saying this morning is that church get a bad rap because of people like that. Because of people that have no combat readiness. Alright. And then... Um, okay. So, all of those... Um, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of readiness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation. All of those are defense. But then we're also given an offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit. The, that, I wrote down, is the Word, God's Word. That is our offense. But, like I said this morning earlier about talking to Braden, you have to understand that these tactics that I'm telling you is nothing that I just created out of thin air. This, these people know this, um, analyzing the enemy. Um, it's used by both sides. And what does that mean? Is that... Just like what I'm telling you to understand the devil and his ways and the enemy, they're doing the same thing to you. So one thing that Michelle and my wife um, showed me in one of her Bible studies this past week, and I'm going to be honest with you, I've never heard this scripture. Um, She showed it to me and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, So I'm just going to read out of 1 Samuel 28 um, and then I'll kind of be bouncing around. So what happened was, is Saul was at the point to where God had turned away his, his back to him because he was disobedient. Um, Saul was disobedient to God, so God turned his back to him. So Saul basically was trying, he had this huge army coming at him, and he looked hopeless. And he was trying to find a way on how he was going to do this. Well, um, what was it, Solomon, I believe? Um, I think, yeah, it was King Solomon that had passed away before this, and he wanted to go to him for, um, he was the one that he used as, as reference and knowledge and stuff, but he had passed away. But because God had turned his back to him, he felt like he had no other ways. So I knew, I, I grew up Baptist, okay? I'm just, I'm just telling you that. I grew up Baptist, and with that, mom always said, you know, don't, we don't celebrate Halloween, but she never told me why, and and I, I knew witchcraft was bad, but I, she never really elaborated into it until I got into my own my own thoughts of religion, and I started pushing in, learning this whole fight with the with the spiritual realm and stuff. But I never knew that the Bible talked about witches and mediums and stuff like that. And this right here, Michelle showed me, is that um, Saul's answer to God turning his back on him is that he went to, in, previous to this point where I'm about to read. He turned, um, he basically pushed all of the mediums out. Well, he had no more answers left, so he went back and found a medium, and he was going to go and say, hey, I need to talk to Solomon. Samuel. Samuel. Thank you. All right, so 
Now Samuel had died, and all of Israel had mourned, mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. Saul had expelled all the Medians and wizards from the land. Okay, so now um, he goes and finds this woman. When the woman saw Samuel, this is uh, 1 Samuel 28, 12, 13. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming out of the ground. So he call, he goes to a median, and then it says that he, uh, she, you got to understand that this is a medium. This is what she does for a living. So she's, she's used to seeing this stuff and trying to talk to spirits and everything. And the Bible says that when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice. Um, she wasn't, whatever she saw, she spooked even her. So, and, and then, so Samuel talks to Saul. So now he's talking to Saul after Saul had passed away. Or, I'm sorry, vice versa. Saul is talking to Samuel after Samuel supposedly is dead. He says, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? So now they go in and they start talking and everything. Um, but the reason why I bring this scripture up is because I had no idea this was there. And when I tell you that the enemy analyzes you and your weapons, this is the type of stuff that destroys Christians, is that the people that don't believe in Christ know the Bible better than you. Is this is the type of stuff that they go and they look for, and then and they'd be like, "Oh, well, you don't believe in this? What about this? Your Bible that you believe in says this, and you're completely caught off guard." Th- this is the type of stuff. I'm like, "Well, so this right here is once I did this and found this, I went and immediately researched it, and I found all different types of theology about just the scripture." Is that they? It's still up to debate on whether he actually saw um, Solomon or. Um, Thank you, man. I am off. I, I wanted to talk to Solomon, apparently. So, Samuel. So, but uh, but other hands say that well, it wasn't actually Samuel; it was a demon. Um, but that right there, just the debate of whether he actually did see him in the other life or it was a demon—that that's in your Bible. That, that's what you bring. That is so for the Christians that don't aren't familiar with this type of stuff. The reason why this is important is that when you need to understand. God gave us all this armor for you to defend yourself against the enemy and everything. If you leave the house every morning and you you put on, you know what, today I'm going to put on my helmet, my breastplate, but you know, I don't feel like putting on my belt or put on my shoes, and I'm going to leave my sword over there. I don't feel like carrying that around today. So now all of a sudden, you're literally caught with your pants down, and they because you didn't bring your belt. You've got your sword sitting at home, your Bible, you don't, you haven't... You haven't pulled your sword out in a while to sharpen the edges, to sit there and inspect it. The other thing, too, is that what I was talking about with the with the armor and everything that they did back then, you have to understand that the type of helmets that they used back then were completely different than what I'm, I'm familiar with. And even what I used, like I gave my boys, I still have my Kevlar helmet, um, and I gave my boys, and they're like, this is, this is heavy. You have to learn how to do all your tactics, your combat, and everything that we learn with using that cumbersome gear. What does that mean? That means, again, muscle memory training, constantly training, and learning how to move effectively, and learning how to do um, different tactics and everything while using this cumbersome gear. Yet, when they used the helmets that they wore, they had, they had, uh, I'm sorry, wow, that was loud. They had, um, the helmet would come down on the side of their their faces, so you lose your peripheral. 
that is huge in the battlefield. So they with with that the weight of, of the shields that they carried, the weight of the swords that they carried, the everything, the, the material that they were using. They didn't have vehicles with AC and they were gonna jump in and be like, you know what, we're gonna drive wearing all this and drive to the battlefield. They walked. They walked carrying all this with the sun beating down on them while they're just an oven, carrying an oven with all this weight. But they had to train to be able to, to learn how to adapt in this gear and everything, right? Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about is that, like I said last time, we, a lot of us want to go into war with a rubber gun. This is, this type of, these weapons and everything that we have... God, it came straight from God. We have to understand that you have to under you have to be able to understand exactly what you're working with, and by doing that is utilizing it and practicing, practice, practice. Because when you practice and you get the muscle memory down, that eliminates fear, the repetition, and everything that we do that that eliminates room for fear. Because I can tell you right now, fear is one of the most heavily used weapons by the enemy because he knows that if you're not on your stuff. You don't want to be looking in your Bible, sharpening your sword, doing whatever, learning how to break your weapon down and put it back with blindfolded. He knows that he can cripple you with fear. Okay? Alright, so, the other thing I wanted to talk about is that, and I, if there's anybody out here that was in the reserves or any kind of um, what we call weekend warriors, I, this is nothing down to you. I, I was both. But this is going to make my point. So, when I was in the military, I did active duty uh, with the infantry. Like I said, I was a medic for the infantry. And then when I got out of my active duty time, my contract, I had to go into the reserves for a few years. My point with this is that, and again, no knock on them, because I, I anybody that went in and raised your hand... I have all the respect in you for the world because, and, and no matter your motives or why you did it to get out of uh, a bad situation because you wanted to serve your country or whatever, I, I respect all of y'all the same. Yeah. But coming from, it killed me, coming from active duty, being in infantry, going into a reserve unit because this, the reserve units, that in my experience, had... No experience, no wartime, right? They didn't train like we did when I was on the line all the time because the infantry guys, that is what they, they, they strive. They live off of just going to war, training. That, they want to be the warrior. Ask my wife. In, in Fairbanks, Alaska, the, the locals, um, they, like Michelle, her, uh, well, her dad, the locals, they tell you do not date military, do not go around them because the whole idea, the whole mindset of the infantry guys, they, they go out in packs. They're like wolves. I'm not, I'm not kidding. And it comes off as, they come off as arrogant and cocky, but those guys, they will, I mean, they will fight to the death to defend one of their brothers. Yeah, they don't fight fair. I get it. But that mentality, that, that sparring, those guys are brothers that they've been sparring since basic training. So they went to war together. They have a, a, a unity with each other that's unlike anybody else, right? Yeah. So what I'm saying now, now that I went from that to a reserve unit, my first day in my reserve unit, every, in the reserve units, they meet one, one weekend a month, one weekend, yeah, so two days every month. And 
once a year the, we go to what they call AT, annual training. So it's two weeks somewhere. Um, I think we went to Hawaii one year, and then I think the three years? Three weeks. Oh, yeah, she, she holds that against me. She's like, while you were working in Hawaii. Yeah, it was, it was really hard for me, I promise. So, anyways, with that, my first day uh, into my reserve unit, right? We get, um, we get in, and I just happened to be on the weekend where they were doing what they called annual training, where um, annual warrior training. So one weekend a year, they basically have all these stations set up, and they have to refresh each other on these stations that in the infantry we did just about every day, right? So they look at me, and I was like, hey, um, I was like, hey, Sergeant, I'm just I'm reporting. This, I'm, this is where I'm supposed to be. And they say, oh, yeah. You have a combat patch because so when you go into war, you wear a, uh, a combat patch with your unit that you deployed with over here. So when you're walking around and people that don't have a patch on that arm means that they haven't been to war um, or they were there for a very short time. I think you have to be there a consecutive three months or something. So, um, oh, you have a combat patch. Perfect. I said, OK, what? I've never met these people before. I don't know any of them. And um, he says, well, our um, NCO that was supposed to teach land nav today, didn't, he got sick. He's not here today. Can you teach land nav? Well, land nav is something we learned in basic training we should all know. And you can't find anybody else to do it. Sure, I can do it. Yeah, I shouldn't. You shouldn't come to me just because I've been deployed. You should all know it. Anyways, here I am. I'm teaching land nav. On my first day, don't know anybody in this unit. And I'm teaching them things. They're like, oh, man, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So, again, I was like, didn't you go to basic training? And they, these are things that they should have known. Well, the reason why I give you that story is, are you the warrior that's coming from the infantry, the line that's, that's living and dying, being a spiritual warrior? Or are you just, you know what, I'm going to go once a weekend, once a week, Sundays. The, the reserve soldier, right? So that's, that's what I'm talking about. And, that's, and again, no knock on the reserves, but that's, that was my an analysis of them. And uh, I love them to death. I was there for a few years, but um, man, that first day was rough. <laughs> I was like, you guys might need to go back to basic training. <laughs> All right. So again, we're going to talk about um, a different type of armor. Um, like I said a minute ago, I'm also now a firefighter. So now that um, I got a job through the academy, you go through these different drills. And at working in the uh, at, at my job as the new guy, the rookie, right? I'm the 33-year-old rookie. It's, oh, it's awful. Anyways, <laughs> so being the rookie, you have to do these uh, drills, what they call two-minute drills. And it's, they'll throw it at you any time. They're like, uh, well, we'll be cooking and stuff, and you'll be helping cooking and cracking eggs. And they'll be like, oh, man, maybe we need to leave these eggs in for two minutes. you got to run. As soon as you hear two minutes, it doesn't matter what context is it. You run out to the truck, and you have your gear set up, because every morning you have to check your gear. You have to check um, everything on the truck. We have to check all the pressure on the bottles. We have to check everything. And so every morning, I come in, and I set my gear on the truck. If I don't set it right to just jump in it for a two-minute drill or a call, then it's going to slow and kill my time. So, um, so as they say that, like I run over, I grab my, my boots, I set them out right in front of the truck, so I jump in my boots, but I have to take my boots off, pull my, uh, my trousers up, put my suspenders on, and then from there I put my, what they call the Nomax hood, and so I put the hood on, then you put your jacket on, zip it up, make sure it's Velcro correctly, because if it's not, 
uh, we'll come back and what happens in gas. And then, um, and then I put my mask, I have to put my mask on, make it tight, make sure I got a good seal. Then I put the hood over the mask, and then at that point, I put my helmet on, make sure it's completely strapped. Then I get my gloves, put my gloves on. Um, before I put my gloves on, I have to put my pack on. So I have to jump in the truck and get, um, get sit in the seat, put the pack on, buckle it up, turn the air on, and then I get out and I put my gloves on. I do the gloves last thing. And then I get out. As soon as I get out, I put my hands up like this. As soon as my hands up, my time stops. So as a rookie, my time doing all of that has to be under two minutes to be um, adequate. That's not efficient. That's adequate. Two minutes. Right now, my time's about 1.30, my quickest. Yeah. But I have to do it multiple, multiple times. And, and every time that I do it, I find different shortcuts. You know, it would work better if I put my gloves. Maybe if I put my gloves next to my seat under my mask instead of having to reach and kill in a second. Every second counts. Because when you call the, the 911, you've got a house on fire or whatever, or a wreck, if you're trapped in a car... Every second feels like an hour. And for us, that is why we're training to get to that obstacle as quick and as efficiently as possible. Because if I don't train and I just jump on and I show up and my, my suspenders are hanging down and I get caught on something, I'm, I'm no good to you. Wow. So training and just constant repetitions. Okay, and, and, and trust me, it gets old. Like every time they say two minutes, I'm like, again? I just did this twice this morning. <laughs> It, it, it doesn't matter. They know, and again, my mentors, your pastor, it may seem like, why are you doing this to me? They know the end result, the end result of the constant training. They know where they want you to be. Because, again, and I'm going to show a video in a little bit. As your commander, pastor here, um, as my lieutenant, when he gets, he's in charge of the truck, he doesn't want... To go on a, he doesn't want to be my friend because if he's my friend and doesn't give me all these two minute drills, I'm not going to be efficient for him. And so when I ride out and we build a friendship through our struggles together, but when we ride out together, he wants to know that I am the best and the most efficient that I can be because he knows he's going to do his job without having to babysit me during that hard time. Okay? All right. Amen. Sir. No, no. So that, that, that kills time again. So um, we, so what happens is like if there's an actual call, what you do, and you got to remember a lot of times um, fires and stuff, it happens while we're asleep, right? So it happens during the dark. So you, the reason why we train so much, because a lot of times we're responding to a call and we're, we're putting our gear on is I just woke up. It's, it's 1230. Hallways are dark, the lights are off, I have to jump up, I have to put my boots on to run out to the bay to put my pants on, and then we're doing this all in the dark, we, we jump in, and then I'll finish putting my jacket and everything on in the truck on the way to the call in the dark, and while literally I just woke up less than a minute ago. You have to be efficient. The, these points where the enemy attacks us in our lives and, and just starts hitting you, when you think everything's hunky-dory, everything's fine... You have to be efficient on to know how to counteract that attack, right? Yeah. All right. So, 
Let's see. Uh, hey, Ryan, we can hear you from back there. <laughs> Tell me about your your warrior that you're thinking about. Last so you're thinking like a like a Native American type of warrior, like a, and, and what kind of weapons you got? Bow and arrow. Bow and arrow. Tomahawk. Oh, what's he look like? Big. So he's real big. He's got a little feather in it. He's got the war paint. He's screaming. Awesome. Great. So that's that's Ryan's warrior. So well, oh, that's one thing too. Uh, you know, when uh, Brayden was, we were talking, I told you we were talking about the fight and everything. And so ever since I told him these, these tactics and everything, now he's, he points it out. We're watching movies, oh man, look, he, he's beaten before he gets to the fight and everything. So well, I think it was, was the last night or the night before, he's sitting there and he was trying to do these things on jacks that I was teaching him. Right? <laughs> and so he comes in and he was like trying to intimidate jacks before he got to the fight. And then he turned around and I went to him. And he turned around and he turned at me like he was going to do something. And I, I buckled down and went like this. And I just gave him this blood curling cry with these, with these death eyes. And, <laughs> and his face went from playful to a whole crack. Yeah. And hit the ground. And then he's, he's on the ground. And then he starts like doing this like, uh, just cackling laughing. Dad, you scared me so much. <laughs> but that's what I was telling him. I was like, look, I didn't know what you were going to do, but you have to intimidate the enemy before they get to you. Right? All right. So, now that we're talking about the warrior, um, everybody think about your warrior. If you don't mind playing the Samurai video. So this video is uh, a few minutes long. It's comedy. It's SNL. And I will explain my connection afterwards. <laughs> if we can get...
gorgeous. Can you do me one little favor? Could you trim away some of the fat? I distinctly said, no fat. There's a lot of fat hanging off. I could use some of the picked that video because, like I said, his warrior looked the way that it did, and hopefully all of you got your warrior pictured. What I, the reason why I bring all that up and I bring this video up, what would it look like if you were your spiritual warrior to work every day? That, that if we looked like that, where we were a warrior in our workplace and it wasn't just on the weekends, where we were the active duty um, spiritual soldier and not the, the reserves, right? So that's why I bring that up. So, um, with that video, I got uh, one last thing. I know I'm kind of getting close to time here. Uh, okay. All this development and all of everything that we've been talking about and training, um, with the firefighters, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was, so, what do you think uh, for a firefighter, what's the number one, number, number one, two killers for firefighters? Fire? Smoke? What if I told you neither one of those are right? Um, heart attack and then cancer. And the reason why, and then let me tell you that, is because what, what, what used to happen back in the old days before they had science stuff, we don't do it anymore. Um, cancer and heart attack, because complacency, they weren't combat ready anymore. You see these firefighters that they get off the, the hose and they get they get big and their hearts can't handle the stress of the job anymore, right? Heart attack, cancer. What's cancer, right? Well, what was happening is is I heard smoke inhalation. Well, the smoke and the byproducts of fire um, that put off. Well, today it's very toxic because of all the like the polyurethanes and everything that's burning in today's type of um, stuff that's inside of houses and everything, right? Well. What was happening back in the day is that after a fire, there comes a part where the firefighters, it's called overhaul. And it's what they do is they'll go through and they'll get their hooks and stuff and they'll bring, pour down the sheetrock and everything and pull it down and try to find, make sure there's no hidden fires that are going to rear its head back up after they leave. Well, what was happening back in the day is that after the fire had been put out and before they started overhaul, they would turn the air off and take their mask off and they would do overhaul without their mask. So they're breathing in all those fumes and everything. And not only that, they were, they were breathing in um, all that carbon and stuff. You see it in movies like Backdraft. They're like the dirtier they come out of the fires and everything. They've got their suits and hats are all melted. And, and you've got the black soot and everything. Well, that black soot, that's carbon. That, that's stuff that's killing. Um, that, that's cancer stuff right there. Well, they would come home. They, or they'd go back to the fire station. They'd leave it. They wouldn't wash it off because the, the dirtier you were, the, the harder the firefighter you were, right? 
So they, that stuff would get transferred. They would every time they pick up their jacket or their, the helmet or stuff. They're, now they've got it on their hands, and now they're going in and they're they're eating, they're rubbing their faces with it. And now a lot of these firefighters are like fifty years old are coming down with cancer. Well, what's the importance of that? Well, the importance of that is now that we're trained and now that we're we're getting into this development and everything, or we're going out into the society of these these environments that aren't healthy. We're putting on our gear and everything. Well, are we cleaning ourselves off before we come back home? Um, because um, Alex, where are you at? But is he in here? Yeah. You might go grabbing that. Wait, just bring that. Uh, I, I put a rope, a cord. Just slide it this way. So um, I think it was two weeks ago, Pastor Amelia did an illustration up here on Wednesday night where she was talking about, she put on a suit, and she was talking about the suit was all dirty and everything, and it had different signs on it, and it was words of these these negative words. All right, Eric, slow down right there. Okay, so all these words that were given to this person, the suit, and she was talking about how we wear this around and we, and we believe this stuff and this is what it is. Well, I was thinking about that after the illustration. I was like, you know what? To me, the, what she's talking about and dealing with family members and stuff that deal with depression and everything, when they bring home, they go into this environment and try with good intentions to, to try to, to preach the word, and, and but they bring home that environment home with them, the negativity, you spread that. And what I mean by that is... With somebody that was in, in a bad environment as a child, uh, childhood and stuff, they were told, you're worthless, you're ugly, why even try? Well, what happens is when they go into adulthood, and I was talking about this last time I was up here, I was talking about the mental battlefields. Everybody's battle, battlefield mentally is different for each person, because I didn't have the same childhood as some of y'all did, especially like my wife. Um, and so what, because of that, my battlefield, mental battlefield, because I had a good childhood, I've got better foothold in my battlefield than she does because this, for somebody that grew up like my wife did, they wake up every morning. And if you look at Alex, Alex walk this way slowly. They walk. They wake up every morning this way. Every one of those weights represents a bad thought, a bad word, and something negative that was given to them. And so we accept them. Why are you so slow? Why are you not trying? Again... Why do people want to do this? Because this is what they they become accustomed to, familiar with. This is what they know. And they're scared, fear, to let this go. Because they don't know what's going to happen. If, well, Christ can take this away from me? Well, what's that going to be like? We're, we're afraid of the unknown. So we would rather hold on to this and walk every day dragging this weight because we know what that is. Even though we know it's miserable, you're scared to let it go. And what happens is, is when your kids or somebody comes up behind you and says, Hey, Alex, how are you doing? And you, because of this is the way you are, and you're tired, and you're worn down mentally, spiritually, what do you do? You get back what you're used to, and you say, Leave me alone. Ugly or something like that. You get back what you're accustomed to, right? And what you just did is you just handed me away. We, we give these off, and that's what we're accustomed to. Our kids... If, if you're not careful and you hold on to weight or whoever gave it to you, you hold on to it, you're going to give them weights too. Okay? Now, what we do is we bring this to Christ and we walk away leaving that here. Walk up. And we leave the weights down. And that's what I'm talking about. Walk that home, right? So... Now, I'm going to go 
remember in my last video, I know I'm getting close, Pastor, I'm sorry. Um, I know our church is small. I know we have other churches that are these big churches um, all around us. The pastor talks about how he came from some of these churches and stuff. It's been talked about a little bit, um, if you get ready for the next video, um, where um, we talk about how these other churches, they're, they're not always, like, what are you saying? We don't pay attention and stuff like that. They're not the full-time warriors. Well, my last video is, there's a, there's a historical battle, uh, Battle of Thermopylae. Anybody familiar? Battle of the Hot Gates. Okay. 300, the movie 300. Yes. There it is. What's that? Yes, exactly. So, but so the movie was based on a comic book, but the comic book was based on real life events. I wouldn't suggest watching the movie because it's very raw and very crude and stuff. But um, I'm going to show you a clip here in a second. What happened was, to give you a little context, was Sparta and all these different their allies, the Greek allies and stuff, were under attack by a Persian army. The Persian was coming in, invading to take them over. Um, it, in their recollection, they said it was like millions of people that was attacking them, but historians say the number of the Persian army is probably about 100,000 100, to about 200,000 soldiers that they were attacking with. Well, the, the Greek armies only had a few thousand. Uh, the, the Spartans brought 300 warriors. Now, this clip I'm going to show you, they're meeting up with their uh, allies to go to the battlefield. Pastor, if you press play. We march. Taxos, what a pleasant surprise. This morning's close upon us with the trait. This is our silence. We heard Spartans on the robot. We need to join forces. If it is blood you seek, you're welcome to join us. We only this handful of soldiers against Xerxes. I was wrong to expect Spartan to release my child. Does it? You, there, yeah. with your profession, I'm a prophet. And you, Akeli, what is your profession? Sculpture, sir. churches that bring in all these numbers and stuff like that, but who's really got more warriors? Yeah. Alright, so I know my time's up. Um, I just have one last thing, Pastor, if you don't mind. Sorry. Um, one thing I talked about briefly last time, and one thing uh, we were talking briefly up here, Pastor, was holding it all together. Um, one thing that we're taught in the military is you have a battle buddy every time you go to war. Your accountability for them, their accountability for you. And um, he briefly mentioned that to you too, where you, you're only going to get it as a unity until you both get it. And right now, I know this is kind of unorthodox, um, but I'm going to pull up my battle buddy and I'm going to have her speak for a few minutes, if you don't mind, Pastor. 
Um, because this is, we're only as strong as a couple as, as until we both get it, right? Amen. And the things that she's gone through and overcome have been tremendous. But um, I just surprised her this, this morning. And again, we're overcoming that fear um, of what will happen when we leave the weights at the front, right? So, Michelle, so come up. And she's going to give you a testimony. And I drank 
myself into a stupor and took a bunch of pills. I, I was like, nah, I, I couldn't do it. I was back here four days later, and that's when you guys met me. And you guys loved on me. You didn't try to hide it. You didn't over, you know, the church people once at home because that's what I'm used to. I have met different people who have been real with me, who have told me their stories, and are not ashamed of their stories. And um, I, I've always felt that I needed to share and I needed to start talking about it. And recently I had three friends in the last year just off themselves. And, um, you know, it's really hard to, you know, could I have helped him? Could I have done something? And a lot of them come from the background like I did. Like, I could go into a lot of details of why I am the way I am, but I'm finally starting to let those chains go. And let them, like, walk out of it. And um, it's taken me a long time. It wasn't an instant story, like I've heard so many people. And it's so happy for you, but it didn't happen like that for me. It's been a lot of work, a lot of hiding in the closet and crying and trying to keep my mind all not understanding it. What am I supposed to do? You know, it's, it's finally turning around. I have no money. I don't have my house on the hill anymore. Um, we don't have anything to our name. And uh, I've never been happier.